What's your relationship with running? Do you like it? I've been a runner, cross-country runner, wannabe marathoner, and a half-decent half-marathoner. And one thing I learned early on in running is I couldn't start out too fast. Have you ever done that? Sprint at the beginning and by the end of the fifth kilometer you're winded. It would be best if you finish how you start. Have you ever heard of Rosie Ruiz? Rosie had some serious problems in life. She never really achieved anything and never felt really important or valued. So she had to prove herself on her own merit. Eventually, she won the 84th Boston Marathon in nearly record time, just over two and a half hours. It's a fantastic story. Rosie had competed in just one other marathon and had only begun training 18 months earlier. And it seems even more incredible when you learn Rosie qualified in the New York Marathon with a special dispensation because she had a fatal brain tumor. Not many people cross off their bucket list win the Boston Marathon after just one other marathon. Her victory didn't last long though. Spotters on the race course hadn't seen her go by and spectators came forward testifying they had seen her run onto the course from the sidelines about a mile from the finish line. It seems she took the same strategy in the Boston as the New York Marathon. Fake an injury, hop off the course, lay low, ride the subway and get back on the road near the finish line. Disqualified, Rosie learned a valuable lesson. You need to finish how you start. Well, the spiritual journey is the same. You must finish how you start, and you must keep pace with Jesus all along. The problem in Galatia was that the Christians believed that they had to do more in their spiritual walk to be qualified as Christians. Even though they started their faith in believing the gospel, they were fooled that they had to start observing meticulous rules, dietary restrictions, specific dress codes, retreats, festivals, and rituals. Worst of all, they took this so far that uncircumcised adults went through the painful procedure of lopping off their foreskins. Paul writes, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Which is like saying, You dear idiots, you're living in a curse. Look, nobody in Boundless Vancouver here is cheating on marathons or adding a systematic way of rule-keeping to prove themselves. But still, we feel like the more prayers we do, the less we sin, the better our standing as Christians. And still, this scripture is recorded and relevant to us because we all have the urge to finish the race differently than we start. I want to explore three things with you around this subject. First, why following the rules is a curse. Two, if we're not supposed to follow all these rules, then what are they for? And three, if we're off track, how can we get back on course? So first, why is rule following a curse? Well, I wanted to start with a bit of a testimony. In my teens, I was moving all around the country. I went to five different high schools. And as the new kid in town, I always faced the question, who is this guy? And I was still trying to figure out that myself and trying to prove myself. I tried sports, popularity, academics, romances, parties. And then the gospel of Jesus saved me from all that. But quickly, I had determined to become a better Christian. Maybe it's what Brad talked about last week. 
false teaching, false leaders. But ultimately, I think it was his third point, fear. I still didn't believe I was good enough. I read more spiritual books. I bought more Christian CDs. I signed up for more conferences and training and went on mission trips. Still, I couldn't stop. And in achieving the spiritual life, I was even more lost, even though I may have seemed like the Galatians, super spiritual by all appearances. Check out Galatians 3, starting at verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? They were tricked. After receiving fellowship with God, the Galatians were sold some snake oil, and now they had to carry on a bunch of rule-keeping and other things to be perfect Christians. Their religiosity fed their carnal cravings. Ironically, they were feeding their egos and following into the pit of ignorance and sinful pride. Their lives were so toxic toxic. Paul says in Galatians 3.10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. I really want you to hear this and examine yourself. We all have the problem of trying to prove ourselves. Please people and please God on our own. Self-protection is what all the world's religious aim for. What social media influencers tell you what you're supposed to do with your life and what advertisers use to sell you things. And the word Paul uses in this verse is epitelio. It means to finish, fulfill, and complete. So translators have translated it, perform, accomplish, or perfect. I like how the New Living Translation works on verse 3. After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? To be human is to be aware of our flaws. We have to face ourselves every day to look in that mirror and see that we have failed, that we aren't what we could be, and we're reminded of our past relationships full of regret. We have hurts. People have said some nasty things. And you've been rejected at times. We probably are aware of our habits, an addiction or thing we turn to for comfort, to cope, or provide some temporary relief. Whether it's a person, a substance, or some religious experience, we're all tempted to grasp for something that will fulfill us or make us complete but it's all about our human effort. We have to ask, am I trying to perfect myself? Because that's a curse. That's why I'm trying to be rich. That's why I'm trying to get thin. That's why I'm trying to get all these degrees. That's why I project a perfect image on Instagram. That's why I'm white-knuckling my temptations and addictions. That's why I'm trying to get married. That's why I'm trying to work through all my emotional baggage and triggers. Well, these are all good things to try to do, but they will not complete you. And if you decide to fulfill yourself, you will live a horrible life. It's this that Paul is talking about as living as a curse. No matter how good you are at living this program, it never really works. 
it doesn't make us feel complete. You know, it only wears you out trying. Or if you are somewhat successful, it just makes you full of pride. And even Paul, who was blameless at keeping Torah, didn't find what he was hoping for, the filling of the Spirit. He received that when he saw Jesus. So, if you're living a self-righteous, cursed life, or if you're living a self-defeated, blaming yourself for not being able to be good enough life, what are you supposed to do? James Proctor wrote a wonderful hymn, and this is what he says. Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him and him alone, gloriously complete. Well, if rule-keeping and self-improving is a curse, then why did God give us rules and the law in the first place? And this needs to be answered. Paul does a great job of it here in Galatians 3. And he quotes a lot of the Old Testament, more than I have time to cover here. And he lands on this guy named Abraham to show us that even those who follow covenant rules are directed by faith. Abraham was promised that God would save the whole world through his son. That's the proto-gospel. For it's true, God saved the whole world through Jesus. Paul points out it wasn't Abraham's living that made that happen or saved him. It was that Abraham believed in God and it was reckoned as righteousness. I like that word, reckon. I reckon. I didn't hear it much until I hung out with Aussies. It means count. Because Abraham believed what God said, he was counted as righteous. It's an accounting word, and he had the deposit of righteousness that he could take to the bank and cash it in. God gave me his word. Put this in my account. So from the beginning, Paul is saying, that the whole Old Testament covenant is still based on faith, based on believing what God said he would do. The thing is, God kept speaking, and he gave the law. So what did the law do? Paul says it was a guardian, a tutor, or a babysitter, so to speak, to raise God's people so the promise of Jesus could happen in the world. How were you when you had a babysitter? When I had a babysitter, there were a whole different set of rules. They were given by my parents to the babysitter. They say things like, bedtime was 8.30. But there were no rules when I was with my parents. They would read with me, they would sit with me, and in relationship, they would put me to bed. We weren't governed by a bedtime. But a babysitter, they're governed by the rules. Do this, do that. And the babysitter, she would put us in her rooms at 8.30, close the door, and call her boyfriend on the telephone. The law's like that. It's a babysitter. It's all about the rules to get by. But God is all about relationship and doing things together. It's way richer than having rules. The point is, God wants to be with us, and by His Spirit, He's present. He's done everything to make that happen in the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus. So, if we find ourselves off track in rule-keeping or rule-breaking, how do we get back on course so that we're not disqualified? You see, the games we play to prove we are enough to God, they don't work. And we don't get it. He doesn't want us for what we can do or how we act. He wants us for who we are. 
and we can't do anything to perform or earn his love. It's a gift. This gift has to be heard so loudly it's seen. Galatians verse 1 reads, It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And we know geographically and temporally that the Galatians weren't at the cross. They had heard the gospel preached. And the word here is vividly. They had heard about Jesus' sacrifice, that the love of God was seared on their hearts and minds. This is the hearing of faith. You can hear the gospel a thousand times and it seems like the same old thing. You can sing a worship song and it just words in a tune. And you can read the Bible and it might be dry. But when the Holy Spirit draws you to Jesus and pours love into your heart, you can see the truth a million times. This is recorded all through the Bible. I like in Job 42, verse 5, Job says this, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Now, he was obviously not saying that he physically saw God. He had said, now he gets it, that he's awakened. And this is the same thing that Paul writes about in Ephesians 1, verses 16 to 18. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he called you, what are the glorious riches of the inheritance of the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. Has this happened to you? My friend Aaron tells a great story. He used to do these evangelistic crusades in England. And him and a team would do drama, art, poetry. They would go out into the community and they'd invite people back into the church and hear uh, music and a message and they'd have bands. And it was quite the event. And one time they were uh, in England and they drew in a bunch of ragtag goths. And they did this meeting and uh, what happened after the message and stuff is they gave an invitation for people to respond. And sure enough, all these people, these young teenagers with their piercings and their tattoos, their makeup, they came forward and they received Jesus for the first time. They were weeping. Uh, things were emotional. Things were energetic. You could feel the presence of God. And at the same time, the lead elder of that church, a man who had served and been in church for his whole life, came forward and for the first time received Jesus, even though he had been going through all the rules and all the customs and wore the right stuff, because he saw, he saw what Jesus had done. See, that's the gospel. It's so invitational and it brings diverse people together. And when the gospel touches you in a new way, when you see Jesus, you're going to be changed. You see who Jesus is as perfect and dying for you on that cross. He bled, he suffered, and died the death that you deserve for your sins. You vividly and graphically know from that event God's mercy and his grace. 
And you have that as the power to be changed. I remember in one of my cell groups, somebody came saying, I've given up smoking. And we said, how did you do that? And they said, oh, it was easy. Every time I went to smoke a cigarette, I saw myself placing a cigarette in the mouth of Jesus on the cross. I just couldn't do it. This is how we receive the Spirit of God. He moves into our lives and He promises to fulfill us. And that's why Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the very power of God. So, to conclude, are you running the race? Are you trying to cheat? Or are you trying to make everybody think that you're doing everything right? Maybe you've been doing that for a long time and have are trying to finish the race different than the faith that brought you into it. Today, can you trust Jesus in his word? You don't have to go changing trying to please him. He loves you just the way you are. And when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he meant it. And it is to that place that he calls you to return daily to him, to his loving presence, so that you may be saved. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray for the listener now that they would feel in your love and grace at this time the invitation to your cross and to believe what you declare over their life. They're included. They're perfected. They are loved. They are full of mercy and by your spirit, your power. We know we receive this not by our own human doing, but because you've done everything to come to us. And so we open our hands and receive grace. And we let go open-handedly of all our human striving so that we can stand in you and be complete. Amen.